Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. As always, I am Jason here with Brian. Tonight, we are talking about everyone's favorite thing, suffering. And it can be a lighthearted thing to bring up in one aspect because everyone talks about suffering and everyone's got their own answer for why they're suffering. There's everything from these great theological dissertations on why suffering exists to opinions on commentators of why God allows suffering, to people saying, well, life is suffering and God wants it that way. There's so many different things. We want to ask a couple of questions about it, though, and hopefully get some thoughts stirring in in your guys' minds today as you listen along. But, but we are talking about suffering today, so Brian, let's do this. Let's do this. This is a, this is a big one. I think this is... Um probably one of the maybe the top five issues that people deal with from Christianity or just basically anything that we do to try to avoid suffering or how do we alleviate it. But I think my question, my first question really is, what is the definition of suffering? And are we applying it in a manner that actually um, is something that we can overcome? Is it something we just have to accept? Is it our job to help relieve this definition of suffering in the lives of others? What actually is it? Who's doing it? What's it, what's it come from? I think most people will look at it as, um, you know, suffering is anything that comes along that's uncomfortable or unfair or is not, not part of what your life is supposed to look like. So, there's, you know, I'm, I get into a car accident and I, I lose the, the, um, the ability to walk. I'm suffering through that, or I was born blind. And so I lose the, I never had the ability to see I'm suffering through that. Or, you know, I was born in a third world country. We don't have clean drinking water. So I'm suffering through that. Or, you know, even to, you know, a, a crazy, terrible thing that could happen to an American, you know, your car battery dies and you're suffering through that. There's all these different things that vary in, you know, degrees of severity, but it's all this, these uncomfortable things that bring us out of what we think we should be in, I guess is how most people look at it from. Yeah, I think that I, I find it interesting that those are like the big things, but think about the small little things that we go through in a day that we just think oh, the day is so against us. You get up in the morning, you go to make your coffee and you're out of creamer. Then you go out for a drive. So you're going to stop and pick one up and then you spill your coffee. And then you get out of your car to go into work and you step in a puddle. And then you realize you spill a little drop of the coffee that you were able to somehow grab in between and it gets a drop on your shirt and you have to go do a meeting. And it's almost like, what's going on? Why is this day against me? What 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 is happening? And in, in essence, we kind of look at that as we're suffering something. Something must be against me what what's wrong with me what's happening or we're looking for something to put that that target point on that maybe if i got up a little bit earlier and i was a little bit more prepared and and we start doing these scenarios but i think that's a real it seems real trivial i had this conversation with a friend of mine a few weeks ago who um she used to live in Haiti and and we were talking about just the way people live in Haiti and and the, our church here, we send missions trips of people to Haiti multiple times a year. And every time the people come back and they'll all say something to the extent of, you know, I, I've been taking for granted what I have here. So 
and, and I'm sure everyone, everyone can picture this if you haven't experienced it yourself. You go somewhere like Haiti or a third world country for whatever reason, and you see what they are enduring and what they're suffering through in their lives. And then the things back home for you don't seem like so much suffering after all. But for your entire life up until that point, those little things, it really felt like you were suffering things. And then even given enough time being back, you'll get frustrated at them again. And you'll feel like you are suffering through those things. Again, even though you have this reference point of, man, it could be so much worse. And so it's suffering to me almost seems like a very subjective thing. Well, here's a great example of it. Um, there's a story that one of the um, officers in probation were sharing that there's a guy that spent 20 years in prison. He got out. And so they were helping him get back into life and, and refunctioning. And in the cells in the adult prison in Thailand, there could, there be, could be like 50 people in a room. And his, his sleeping area was, I mean, you're kind of stacked in there like cordwood. And his sleeping area was right next to the toilet. So you might think, first of all, how miserable just to be in that environment. So you're looking Yikes. at this whole, whole idea. But for 20 years, he, this, is, this is how he functioned and he lived. And when he got out, they, they put him in a room and he was, he was uh, being asked by the officer, how, how was your rest tonight? How, how, did, how did it go? And come to find out, he went and slept right back by the toilet again. And they asked really? him, why did you go sleep there? And he said, it just seems so out of place not to be here. I've, I've been in that place for so long. It just seems normal. And I thought, hmm. how, how interesting that we were relieving some of the suffering, right? Because you're in jail, you're, you're in prison for something. So now we're liberating you. And we think to make suffering is to give you your bed and this room, but he found himself right back in the same spot that he had spent most of his mm -hmm. life at because he went in at an early age. And so I find it interesting when we're talking about relieving suffering sometimes, um, and not saying that he should constantly stay, still stay living by the toilet. There, there could be other reasons, but for him to walk out of that, it was suffering to have the big open room and all the space. It was so foreign to him, hmm. it was uncomfortable. So his discomfort was something we would assume would become comfortable. And so I find it interesting that sometimes when we're using this definition of suffering, I think we talk about what we feel is suffering, but then we wanna project that onto what someone else would feel as suffering. And we could actually be doing the re reverse effect. Now, shouldn't some of that be I guess kind of obvious. So on one hand, I think most people would agree that just because you think something is suffering or just because you look at someone as having a lower quality of life or a lower enjoyment or fulfilled life than, than they should have, just because you see it that way doesn't mean they necessarily do. But at the same time, I mean, even that example, it, I, I can't, wrap my mind around the idea of it being okay that this guy wants to sleep by a toilet. That seems like there's something that is just wrong with with his his state of mind, what he's gone through, what he's been put through that has made him okay with it, but that's not the way he's meant to live. And so he might not feel like it's suffering, but to like everyone else in the world, 
it seems like he is. And so I'm, I kind of wonder what the what the difference is or where's the line between, you know, I, I'm going to tell you that you're suffering and I'm going to make it better for you versus, you know what, they just might be seeing things differently than I am. And maybe the superficial thing I'm looking at isn't the problem and shouldn't be the focus. Like where, where do we kind of draw that line or see the difference? Well, do you think maybe that ties into how we're defining what suffering is? Because we do this with the Bible too. We bring all these outside stuff in and then we put it into where the Bible says, you know, we're suffering. He's testing us. He's teaching us something. So I think what's interesting, even in that scenario, what is my objective in getting him into a bigger space and getting him moving forward is my objective is if, if I was the officer is to get him back functional in society. That, that would be my objective. But if I don't actually help the man see his functionality in society, I'm not really doing it for him. I'm doing it for me. Hmm. And so we have that side of suffering, which is relief, right? We're, we're trying to bring relief to people. It's almost like, um, think about just any good thing we do. We want to bring relief to the problem, but we actually haven't connected with the person that's on the inside of the problem to help them see what they are and what they could be outside of that, because that is a different journey. And I would say the transition that for this man, if we were just to look at it in a blanket statement and being very general, his suffering was not as much the prison and the coming out or the vice versa, but his suffering was what he thought of himself in the midst of all of those situations and the transition mm -hmm. for him to see himself different in those situations would really be more at the essence of suffering because when he had victory, what would be revealed in him? A different opinion, a different view, a different way of thinking. So how do we see that um, that defined in in the Bible and in Scripture? How do we see that actually being that actually playing out? Because on it it'd probably be a good point of reference, and I know we all would just assume we agree with that statement. Anyone who's listening that's a believer or goes to church would assume that's a good idea. But I mean, keep in mind, everything at that time was extremely different. So maybe we don't even have an idea of how they looked at suffering, because we'll we'll take that word, as you said, and we'll filter it through 2020 Western culture. So that's our outlook of suffering. So I, I know you've got a couple examples that we, that we talked about before. So how do we see that, you know, played out in scripture? Well, let me just clarify your, your question. Like, what what is the definition of suffering in scripture? <clears throat> or what are examples of people that yeah, well, rose through that? How would it be defined? So I think we should probably define the, the term first. And I'm I'm a very big believer on the the idea that words matter. They have definitions, and you need to understand what words mean in order to properly use them, especially when it comes to things in the Bible. Because so often I've seen people use a a biblical word with a worldly definition to it, and that tends to really change or can have the potential to change what you're reading in the Bible. And so I think it's important to get the right definitions there. 
maybe a good place to start is just let me read a passage of scripture that deals with this. And then let's start pulling that apart and then start using examples of how it was used. And in Romans 8, 16 through 18, it says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God and joint heirs with Christ. So for those who believe, that's what the Spirit of God is saying inside of us. If indeed we suffer with him, ooh, that's fun, right? Super cool there. <laughs> If indeed we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. All right, so there's the passage. Well, let me let me clarify for everyone listening and for my own my own uh, my own sake. I I don't necessarily mean defining the words by we need to look at the original Greek or Hebrew, because context is everything. And so we have to see how things are used in context. And so it's really interesting to use that scripture because it's almost as if there's there's two contrasting things there. There's suffering right now, and then there's glory. So there's, there's suffering and glory, and they seem to be contrasted with each other in a certain way. So even how you're describing that right now, it's almost like I have to live in my suffering now because someday in the sweet by and by I'll have glory that I won't be suffering anymore. But I really don't read it saying that. Mm -hmm. It says, indeed, if we suffer with him, that we may be glorified together. So the question comes, when are you glorified? What does that mean? Is that when the, the big cloud comes down from heaven and shines and we become illuminated and taken up and our bodies change? Is that, is that the glory he's referring to? Is it, it could be, I think there's an aspect to that, or is it something that happens when we make a decision? So if the man started, uh, that we talked about that slept by the toilet, all of a sudden he, we worked with them and pretty soon he was able to go wherever he wanted to, um, and, and sleep normally in different places. Would that not be glory being revealed in him? So yeah. I think we have to look at what does the word glory actually mean and what actually are we suffering? Is it just when sickness comes, when calamity comes, when uh, the loss of something happens? Is that the suffering? Because uh, that's how the world kind of describes it. If I have something and it gets taken away, then I'm suffering. Well, and isn't that how it's... That's how I've heard it defined in in church my entire life growing up. So it's the sufferings of this present age, which means, and and this is this is how I've heard it taught, which means that there's going to be a lot of terrible things in life, and you should just probably get used to that, and you're going to suffer through it, like you were saying. You press on until the sweet by and by. You've got to suffer through these terrible things, because it says it right there, the sufferings of this present age, but it doesn't say everything in this life is a terrible thing happening to you. We kind of We kind of add our own our own thoughts into that. So, so keep going with what you were saying there. Well, just staying with your train of thought and we're, I think it's important that we kind of, uh, bang around on this for a little bit because there's so many different views of this. And the moment you, you talk about, uh, glory or you, you, we, let's say someone comes into money and they were broke and all of a sudden a miraculous event comes into money we would almost look at the relief of the suffering. 
But how many how many of us know that relief is not the same as being changed? I mean, we could relieve right. people all day long. I can relieve you of symptoms. Or then we will go on to say, well, God's using those things to bring out glory in us. See, see, all these bad things are happening to us so that way he could bring out something good. Uh, he's refining us. We're in the refiner's fire. We're, we're in those things. Well, there would be some, look, even if we went along that train of thought, even, even if we were just going to go along with that train of thought just for a moment, which I have a real problem with that because we, we, that would make God a little bit sinister. But let's just go with that train of thought for a moment. We would still have to have a couple baselines of what we are trying to get to. What, what is the thing we're getting to? And I, I think it's interesting, that's rarely defined. We're very clear on, on labeling everything as suffering, but we have a real hard time saying what's glory. Hmm. And I like how that verse, it starts out with something. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God and joint heirs with Christ. Okay, just ponder that for a moment. What is available to a non-believer and what has been given to a believer is the sharing of his name, the adoption of into his royal family. As Peter says, we are chosen and precious. We are something of the, of the highest value commodity to him is his children. So, so that's your worth, that's your value, and that's what he thinks of you. And if you listen, his spirit is saying that to you. But then it goes on, if indeed we suffer with him. So why would there have to be a suffering that corresponds to that? Because in the moments when things are going wrong, what do you think of yourself? Do you think of yourself as a child of God? Do you think of yourself as precious? Do you think of yourself as intrinsic value? Or do you think of yourself as something's wrong with you? I need to get things right. And if you don't think that there's a suffering of transition in that, you won't understand this verse. That's why it says, if indeed we suffer with him. Because there's something that has to be let go of in order to accept that new position. So then maybe the next question we should ask is, what, what is the suffering of Jesus, or what was his suffering? Because if it says we suffer with him, it it's got a link to something that either is or was. So what did Jesus suffer? Well, maybe we could begin with who was behind the suffering. And what was the objective of the one imposing the suffering? I think if we can get that, then maybe we can address your question. So in 1 Peter 5, 9 through 10, it says, since the adversary... so." You gave a definition. Ron, can you read that definition of suffering that you gave earlier? And then this will tie into that. Okay, yep. So there's there's a few definitions of, of the word suffer. Um, there's the things you would normally think of, like to submit or be forced to endure, so you're enduring something, to feel keenly, to labor under something, um, to undergo something, to experience something. But this is the one that really... It was just really stood out to me. It means to put up with, especially as something that is inevitable or unavoidable. So you are going through something, and the the end result of that 
is inevitable or unavoidable, which means you are suffering through the process to this thing that is that is unavoidable. So you will end up at this thing and your process to get there is called suffering. And it's it's not necessarily a negative connotation in it, but but it very well can be obviously because there's it's almost as if there's a there's a pain of I am not to this thing that I am supposed to be at and it's inevitable that I get there. And so the feelings between here and there are are the suffering or what's in the way you could say, but it, but it can also just kind of be part of the process. So was this all created? Was all this suffering created? So that way we can be better people. Cause I, I, if that was true, we would have the best planet on the, in the world. Everyone would be so amazing right. for how much suffering by definition has been put out there. We should have, the most loving, caring, confident, overcoming people on the planet. You actually would, if because of the necessary suffering that would that was put out there for us to become great in. If the suffering is the thing that brought us into His glory, man, how much suffering in this world has gone on? Why is it still a mess? So I think that the idea that um, I'm, I'm kind of playing off your words, but I'm, I'm adding into things that I've heard and heard people say that God's just teaching us something. It was, it's just part of life. Well, and even with that, to take that a step further, why wouldn't you want to have more terrible things happen to you? Why wouldn't you inflict terrible things upon yourself if the, if that, is just by default going to lead to something that's better and to more glory. So you should inflict more things upon yourself and encourage other people to do so as well. Well, we could even we could even go as far as say if suffering makes us better, then when I mean I mean just ponder this for a moment. We pray to God to have him bring relief from whatever we're dealing with, right? I mean there's times like God this is a mess, please help me. This is going on, please help me. My, my parents are sick, please help them, right? We're, so we're asking God to help them. But we have, as humans, made it that God's the one actually putting it there to teach us something. But you know what's interesting? If if that was a true statement, if, 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 if those things were brought so God could make us better, and that's a true statement, then why in the world would we pray for him to, like you just said, have him take it away? But we should be like, let's say you got cancer and God's using that cancer to teach you something. Man, we shouldn't be going to the doctor to get relief from it. We should just lay in our bed and just suffer in it and grow to the maximum capacity. Now, the moment I said that, people just got mad. Wait a second. No, you know what we do? We go to man to find cures to deal with what's going on because... If God's bringing it, we're actually rebelling based on that definition against God by going to man to solve our problem. Because God brought the problem to begin with. Because he's teaching us something. Mm -hmm. Which shows how rebellious we really are because we don't want to learn from our suffering. Based on that definition. 
And let me ask this question or kind of throw this thought out there. So if, if that is the goal of suffering, and it says that Jesus endured suffering, what was so wrong with Jesus that God had to put him through suffering to bring more glory or to, to teach him something? Where, where is that in the life of Jesus? So I, that, that brings up a question of what is the suffering that Jesus went through? Because it's not, it's not, okay, God gave Jesus cancer and he suffered through that to bring glory to God because we don't see Jesus having cancer. So what actually is it? Well, I think we could get a really ahead of ourselves on some aspects of that, because then we need to go into the position of who God is as a just judge and a righteous judge. And so maybe, do you think we could table that to the next podcast? Because I think that's a very critical topic, but it can get lost in this a little bit. Yeah, that might be something that's best served for when we can spend more time on it. And it's not that it's a can of worms. It's just, it's a misunderstanding, but I think it we'd be better serving it if we kind of discussed it a little bit separately. So back to this point on suffering, the one thing that I wanted to bring up was 1 Peter 9 through 10 describes the motive behind suffering. It says, since the adversary, the devil, which is creating adverse actions into your life, adverse problems, and again, I, I don't want to go so simplistic that Everything going on in your life is the devil making it happen because there's things that we do that make those problems happen, but it stems to this deeper core issue that was initiated by the adversary. We think low of ourselves. We've been uh, walking in inferiority and insecurity since the fall of Adam and Eve. That is the things that provoke a lot of uh, action. And the moment we start rising from that, we have an adversary that comes. And so the adversary, the devil, goes around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, which is not um, just stand there and tie a knot at the end of the rope and hold on. Resisting is an action force against. So a resistance movement or the French resistance in the during World War II was a group that was counter countering the German invasion. They were resisting the German invasion. So it wasn't like they created a stronghold and sat there and just waited. They actually were doing things to invade and to penetrate into the German army. So that's resistance, which is very interesting. How many of these words have we put from a defensive position versus an offensive position? So if we look at mm. suffering as an offensive something that's coming at us, then there we must have be able to have within us something that counters and moves forward against it, thus creating the clash, which creates the suffering. Resist him steadfast in the faith. Faith in what? What Jesus said about us, who we are, that we're chosen, that we're valuable, that we're his children, that he redeemed us, so we're putting faith in him who's actually called us something different. Knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. So in other words, all the brethren 
the suffering he's referring to has more to do with what he's saying about you and what he's bringing you into. It's not necessarily referring to the fallen, corrupt world that we just live in. It's referring to once you start believing the brotherhood suffering, which is very different. We'll talk more about that. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. So again, there's that, that fun, awesome verse, after you have suffered a while. So I just have to suffer a while, and then he will perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. Again, it said stand firm in the face, faith. Stand firm in the faith. Resist him. And after you had that suffering for a while of the resistance of him, in that process of standing, you are being perfected, established, strengthened, and settled. By the way, this still doesn't bring a lot of happy thoughts yet, but I think if we get, get through some of that. So let me just give you one more definition. I, I want to get your thoughts on that. Is What does the word glory actually mean? Man defines glory by high position, wealth, things they acquired, uh, nobility, um, title, uh, degrees, uh, experience. That's how man has described glory. And none of that goes with you when you die. All that just, it's dead. So the glory he's referring to is not that glory. But all of that glory has a similarity because that is all based on the praise of men. So ultimately, man esteeming you something great is man's glory. But God says this about what glory is. The word is doxa, and it means honor, renown, especially a divine quality, the unspoken manifestation of God. Okay, so that's how it's used. And the actual literal meaning is what evokes a good opinion that something has inherent intrinsic worth. So the glory that's revealed to you in the middle of the adversary coming after you is that you come to a deep understanding, I have intrinsic value and worth, and this can't take it away. And when you live from that place, eventually you rise above the suffering that that suffering doesn't even bother you anymore. And all of a sudden you start moving forward and things begin to change. So everything, if you really get what the adversary is after, God wants to give you glory and reveal his intrinsic worth, that you're my child, you're, I have given you an inheritance, I'm making you an heir, you're a chosen and precious people, you have great intrinsic value, that's why I offered Jesus up to die for you, to redeem you back into my family. That's your worth, that's glory. What's against that? The adversary. Because if you see what you're really worth, the adversary can't come after you. And is that not what we talked about on the last podcast with the Rocky? Mm -hmm. If you know what you're worth, then go out and get what you're worth. But you've got to be willing to take the hits. The hits is keeping you from seeing what you're really worth.
if we're going to simplify that. So I think that we we need to dive a little bit more into that because I know I know from you know this is the way I used to think those things can even that idea can even be I guess categorized as well yes but that worth the I guess you could say the the tangibility of that worth isn't for now that's in heaven kind of a thing it's I've gone to prepare a place for you it's your mansion on a hill thing but how do we practically see that tying into right now because it's not meant to be just a okay you're going to take the hits now but if you can endure them there's a prize for you at the end your worth isn't worth that is stored in heaven your worth is actually right now if your worth was for a you know to be opened at a later date situation then there'd be no reason to reveal that glory now. There'd be no reason to impart that glory and that worth and that intrinsic value right now. And so I think if you're if you're seeing that, and if you're realizing that, it's not just a someday I'll grow up to be this thing. It's I am right now. That changes everything. That makes all the difference because then you can see that if I don't give in to the enemy, the adversary accusing me of having no worth, accusing me of being lower, then I can walk forward in what's in front of me right now as who I am fully. And that's ultimately what I think the suffering really is for people, is when I feel so low about myself, then all of these things, it just piles on and I feel even worse, so I act even worse. And then I feel even worse, and so I act even worse. And the cycle repeats itself. And so the suffering is almost more of a, I've, it's, it's the resistance. And I love how you put that. It, there's an active resistance to it because I think so often we look at it, as you said, as a very defensive thing. You know, it's stand firm in the faith, which means you're supposed to be this stick planted in the mud and the wind and the rocks and all this stuff is going to come at you and you're just supposed to sit there and take it. But that, that's not really what it's trying to communicate. I mean, David resisted Goliath, and he didn't do so from the camp. He walked out there, and he chucked a rock in his head. That was his resisting the enemy. It's so much more a proactive thing than we realize it, which means the glory has to be an active thing for us right now. So based on that story, Jason, what did he suffer? What did David suffer? What did he have to suffer in that whole scenario? Well, for one, he had to suffer the opinion of his brother when he was inquiring about the whole thing. And his brother said, what are you doing here? You're just looking for some, you want to see the battle? You should just go back to tending those sheep. So he had to suffer through that opinion of his brother who was trying to bring him into this lower place, trying to demean his value. And the way he suffered through that was by saying, you know, whatever, and turning away from him and just... And, and going on his way, He's, he in one way had to suffer through the opinion of Saul, who said, look, buddy, you're just a kid, and he's a massive warrior. And David suffered through that opinion by saying, no, this is actually what I am. I know it looks like I'm this, but here's what I really am. Here's what God has made me into being. And then he suffered through the words of Goliath as well. And I mean, that that suffering, every step of it is moving forward. Every step of it is advancing, and this is what I am, and I won't listen to my brother. I'm not going to listen to Saul. I'm not going to listen to Goliath, because I know what I am, 
and this big nasty giant's in the way, so I'm going to walk through it. And then he had to suffer by pulling out Goliath's sword afterwards, too. So his intrinsic value was that he knew what he was. And mm-hmm. he, what he was was to face a major problem. But the suffering was not actually the problem itself. It was all of those words being and the and the pressure against what you are to what you're about ready to face. But once he faced it, he walked in glory. And the more glory he got in God, the more suffering he got, because then he had to go hide because then Saul wanted to kill him. And then people, they bragged on him, but then that, that actually turned people against him. I mean... I think we just don't we don't look at the context from that. Now it ties into everything. It ties into everything and say, well, that that doesn't help. When I just lost my job, I don't have any money, I can't pay my bills, I'm suffering. What's God teaching me? What's God teaching us? I have no money, I can't pay my bills, I can't live in my house, I'm going to be forced onto the street. What's God teaching me? And I think that's we ask that question, but what we're really trying to ask is, God, what mechanism do I need to do? To remove the problem. And I think we've sought, we've talked about that relief and deliverance a lot. We want relief from the problem, but we don't really want the deliverance, which actually takes us into a different place and a different way of looking at it and a different position. So think about this just for a moment. What are the voices that come at you when you find out you can't pay your bills, you just got a notice from your boss that you're getting laid off, and then you find out you don't qualify for unemployment, what goes on inside of you? Just imagine that scenario just for a moment. Is the suffering the loss of the job? Is the suffering the inability to pay the bills? Or is the suffering much deeper and more painful? What are you really suffering in that moment? I'd say the real thing is that you're not enough to provide. For even yourself, let alone throwing a family in there. So wouldn't we really say the thing that we value in life the most isn't really what we value, but what we get our value from? So as humans, we get our value from being able to produce, being productive. We get our value from something. And if we couldn't get it there, then we'd start tying it to all sorts of crazy things. And it can go to... We, if I was just married, then I would be something. If I could just have kids, then I could be something. If I could just have a new neighborhood, then I could be something. If I was just, if those people weren't against me, then I could be something. And then the blame starts happening. What's all of that about? It's about who we are. But when Mm -hmm. your intrinsic value comes from something else, it doesn't make the problem feel better but it gives your perspective and the answer completely different because then you can let the glory rise up. So then the question could be, I've been here before. Awesome. I'm going to go out and go explore a new job. And here's what we're going to do. God is with me and we're going to go face this. And even if I go to six jobs and they tell me, no, I don't want you, I'm not going to blame. I'm not going to be angry. I am just going to keep going and I'm going to bring out what God thinks of me. Now, all of a sudden, you're seeing glory being revealed versus the suffering. 
I would even add that the the creativity that you start to see and walk in yourself when you see yourself in that light is vastly different. So I have um I have some co-workers that uh, you know everyone's been doing a lot of Zoom calls and so they've been able to see um my office that I have at our house here. And one of them made the comment, "Man, you're so lucky to have an office. I would get so much more done if I had an office. I could I could do this side project I've been wanting to do. I could do if if I had an office, I could do this." And I remember thinking a few years ago when I was um, doing some some voiceover work for a friend of mine who was creating a video game, and my wife and I lived in a two bedroom apartment with our two kids, and we had family over that were staying with us for the weekend. And I had to get some of that work done. There was not a room in the apartment I could go to, and there was no, there was no like a community room in the built in the complex. There's nothing like that. What there was was a bathroom. And so I sat my computer down in the bathroom, and I sat in front of it, and I got some stuff done. Now, if I would have sat there and and thought, you know what, man, if I if we just had a bigger place. You know, if I just had this house or the, a three bedroom even, or if I had somewhere I could go, there's, there's always somewhere. There's always something that's going to get in the way as well. But because in that moment, I, I realized who I was and I, I realized what I wanted to do, what was on my heart to do, I found a way to do it. And I think that's where, where it all starts because I've also been on the side of things where I've had that mindset of, you know what? I could I could really make some cool music if I had some better equipment or if we had a nice recording studio if or if this or this or this. I've been on that side of it as well and and shockingly when the circumstances changed the results didn't or the mindset didn't change because I still was waiting for something else. I was still suffering through a lack of something. But when the mindset changed for me, that's when the suffering took on a whole new level and it's actually kind of exciting at times to go through that suffering when you're confident in the glory and the identity that you've been given. Well, I think you just brought up something really powerful, even just in a thought process. If we would take and peel back the onion deeper of what's really bothering us about the scenario that we're in, we're going to find it goes back to how we view ourselves in the midst of that situation and what's been taken from us from a value point. Even to the point, like you could take sickness, you could take anything going on in your life and you can peel it back, what is it doing to me? And it would start exposing what's going on. And that is where God begins to speak what you are first so that it could come out. Um, just, But here's another suffering that, that people often ignore. Believe a promise, God says, and then tell other people about this promise that you believe. See how well that goes. Find out how many real supporters you have of that promise that you know is real, it becomes alive on the inside of you, you see what God's going to do, and just see how wonderful of a support you get for believing that promise. I mean, just think about it. Paul just said, I am a son or child of God. I am a joint heir with him, and I have an inheritance. Well, come on, you're kind of making yourself a little prideful, don't you think? You, th Come on, you're, you're not that. It doesn't mean that. Or God says, don't forget all of his benefits, who heals all my diseases, who forgives all my iniquities. 
I'm not supposed to forget those benefits. But the moment I say, hey guys, I found this benefit that this is what he wants to do. Yep, that's not what happened to my parents. This happened in my parents' life. I was believing that and that didn't work. That just doesn't work. This is what scripture really says. All that stuff faded away. Once, once the Bible was written, all that faded away. That's, that's of a different time period. That doesn't apply to today, but it came alive to you. I'll tell you the worst suffering as a Christian is to actually believe the promise that he said. It is hard finding someone that will just agree with you and to stand with you. And you could see this in David and Goliath. What was he really insulting the people with? Not insulting, but it became an insult to them when he said, don't you know whose army you really are of? Don't you know it? Don't, don't you understand what you are? And that's when it's like, who do you think you are, you arrogant kid? You get out of here. You're nothing. You're just go go tend to your few little sheep. Right? That's the backlash. I think we receive more suffering on trusting a promise than we do by the thing that the promise would deliver us from. One of the reasons for that too, and it's it's such a a heartbreaking thing to see, is because the insecurity that people feel about themselves can go so deep that they will actively try to tear down someone else just so that other person doesn't rise up in who they are. Because if that other person rises up in who they are, then what kind of guilt and shame and insecurity do they feel over themselves? And so and for some people, they don't even realize it. So it's better that I tear them down so that no one can rise up and I don't feel as bad about me being the coward that I am right now. And it's so heartbreaking that so often in history and in scripture, we see that coming from the people that are supposed to support you the most. Again, with David's example, his own brother was the one that was the most outspoken against him. His own family throughout his reign, trying to remove him from the throne at times. Saul, the person he spent years and years serving and supporting and loving and attending to, trying to kill him. It's pretty rough out there. Again, we go back to if we really take what's going on in our, our world. We live in another country, so there's so much turmoil going on, and there's easy ways to be angry at everything going on on all sides, and uh, just the, the, the ridiculousness of one policy has to be strictly uh, adhered to, but, oh, this one exception, apparently... Uh, the problem doesn't apply to this exception, but it's a big problem over here. And it's like the hypocrisies and, and we're just, we're living in this madness going on. And I, I just find it interesting when you just take a moment and just go back and reread through the characters of the Old Testament, they faced all the same things we are facing today. All of them. Yep. All of them walk through a journey. And whenever they hit a point where they didn't know what to do, God would reveal himself of who he was and who he wanted to be to them in the next phase. And all of a sudden they had this hope and this assurance. Do you know what? The problem didn't actually go away, but they discovered solutions to the problem and they overcame the problem. And I think this is really powerful what a father wants to do with a child is if like if I'm taking my son when he first went to soccer practice 
First of all, he he still doesn't like soccer, but five years old, I took him over to his first soccer team that he had to go to, and he wouldn't get out of the truck. Now, I was coaching high school soccer at the time, and so as I got talking to him, I started listening to what the real problem was, and it accidentally came out, well, they're just bigger than me. And I realized, David, you've only seen soccer with high school students playing in year five. You're not playing with high school students. They're all your height. And these little kids started walking by. I said, see those kids? That's who you're playing with. And all of a sudden, his eyes perked up and go, oh, well, I could do that. What was the biggest obstacle for him that he wouldn't get out of the truck is that he didn't equal the challenge. He wasn't equal to the challenge. Now, it was still a challenge. It was still something new. So we get on the field, then he runs around, and he had fun. He still doesn't like soccer, but he was not, no, he's not afraid to go into these environments anymore. But me as a father, was I testing him? Was I going to say, you know what, I'm going to find an event that he's so terrified of, and I'm just going to go trade it so horrible to see how he just suffers, and I'm just going to let him sit in the truck for weeks and just mourn about this event that he's got to go do. No, he did need to suffer into a new phase. But what I needed to do was I went to where his heart was at and I exposed the lie that what he was to the problem. And when he saw what he was to the thing he saw as the problem, he could go out there and deal with it. And he did great. And it was awesome. And he had fun. Disappointed that he still doesn't love soccer. But the issue wasn't there anymore. <laughs> and if we lose sight of a father doing this with us, we will create suffering as, yep, God created soccer and all these big players to torment me. And then you find out they're not big players. Mm -hmm. That's the enemy's lie coming in, creating that environment. So we're going to wrap this up in a minute and, and we're going to have, we're going to continue this conversation next week. And um, this, this might be a bit of a cliffhanger, but I want to at least touch a bit on the whole question of suffering and Job, because oh, you cannot yeah. bring up that word without talking about poor old Job. What about Job? Come on. All this sounds great. Well, okay, so... Look what God did to Job. Yep. Wow. It's always amazing to me how we've managed to whittle down 40-plus chapters in the book of Job to a handful of verses and think we understand the entire life and story and the meaning behind Job. And it's ridiculous. But... But what do we, from a just a, a starting point, and we'll we'll pick it up again next week, how do we look at the suffering of Job in light of what we've just been talking about here? Well, I'm going to leave you with James. God does not tempt any man with evil. Neither does he tempt any man. So there's a clarity. God does not use evil to grow you. But you overcome evil, and you will grow. But that's what's on the inside of you or of your old man. So that's point number one. Point number two is let's just remove how, where, why Job even started. Let's just look and flash back to the verse at the end in 42 and verse 3. And Job answers God, you asked... 
Who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand. Okay, point number one. I have uttered what I did not understand. So 40 verses, for, sorry, 40 chapters of things that Job did not understand. I'm, I'm talking really slow, so you really pick up on this point. He did not understand the things he was talking about. So to reference anything as if a clear vision of what was taking place and what was the motives and everything is not... It, it's it's saying he was talking out of a lack of understanding. Things too wonderful, wonderful, awe-inspiring, awesome, incredible, magnificent. Things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Listen, please, and let me speak. You said, I will question you, and you shall answer me. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear. Listen to this very closely. And then we'll get into this next week. I have heard of you, God, by the hearing of my ear. But now my eyes see you. Therefore, I abhor and repent in dust and ashes. I abhor my old way of thinking and my way of seeing life and my ways of life. And I now change and I'm going a different direction. That's what the word repent means. What he thought, what he understood, his knowledge of God, he repented of all of that because now he saw God and something changed in him. And I think it becomes very important that when we're defining what's going on in our life, if you're only defining it based on what you heard about God or what you heard about from your friend or what, you, what your friend experienced and is trying to tell you about but you have never encountered God in those scenarios. You may be speaking ignorantly about the problem. We'll just leave it at that, and we'll get more into that in the mm -hmm. next episode. Yeah. That is a great topic that I can't wait for us to spend a lot more time on. But um, to bring it all home, guys, it's I hope this has given you something to think about when it comes to changing or having a new perspective on what a what suffering is in the first place but also your role as a son or a daughter of God in that. The world is not getting easier. Things in your lives, I'm sure, are not getting easier, but you will get better at them. You grow stronger. You become more courageous. You more fully realize what you've been given, as we're all doing. And so we appreciate you guys. We want you to stay in the fight. You can handle it. And we'll be back next week to do it all over again.